president, uh, good intentions on someone else's behalf could be misleading and make a problem and a situation even worse. We're going to look at that tonight, something that's been on my heart. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to take a page out of Peter's life of good intentions. I will read Matthew 16. We'll start in verse 1. All right. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came in to test him, that is Jesus. They asked Jesus to show them a sign from heaven. He answered, My technology's let me down here. All right. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be a stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves that I turned into five thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I, I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that, the, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer at, and many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. That's the good intention. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give for his soul? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that's ever enlightening, it's ever encouraging and strengthening and teaching us, Father God, what is truth and how we should follow you, God, and teaching us even to be careful of what we intend, Father. Help us with our good intentions, Father God. Help us to understand that your revelation of who you are is the only good thing we need, Father God. And every good thing that you did at the cross for a Uh, forgiveness of our sins, Father God. Help us. Open up our mind to understand the scriptures today and apply it to our life, Father, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. You might not recognize in here, but there is a good intention on Peter to save Jesus from the misery of the cross. That sounds like a nice thing, right? But we're going to find out that it's not really all that good. I'm going to start off by reading an excerpt from a man named Albert Camus. If you don't know who he is, he's a French philosopher in the mid-1900s. If you don't know him, I don't know him either. I looked him up today. So don't think, don't be impressed by me reading French philosophers. I don't do that, all right? But he does speak a lot on good intentions, so I wanted to hear what he had to say. And this is what he has to say about good intentions. The evil that is in the world almost always comes of ignorance. And the good intentions may do as much harm as malevolence if they lack any good understanding. Now it's interesting what he says about good intentions here. If good intentions are not informed, they'll cause more harm than good. Peter's good intention was, far be it from you, Jesus, that you're going to go suffer. That was, he, he, he threw his life out. We'll look into the text later on on how strong that is in, in, in the Greek. What Jesus, uh, Peter is saying is that there is no possible way I'm going to let you go to the cross. Over my dead body, are you going to go suffer? That's what Jesus, that's what Peter was saying. And it, it was a good intention, but it was really satanic at the end of the day. So we want to look at good intentions. It's part of discipleship. It's part of being a Christian. And what's important in the 16th chapter, and I read the whole thing because Jesus, up to this point in the book of Matthew, has been been questioned by the religious leaders day after day. They're trying to trick him into saying something wrong. At this point in the 16th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is saying, you know something, I had enough of you. You're always asking for signs. I raised the dead, you didn't believe me. I fed 15,000 people with a couple of loaves. You didn't believe me. I healed the lame. You didn't believe me. I opened up the eyes of the blind. You didn't believe me. Now you want something spectacular in the sky. Guess what? No more signs from you. From now on, I'm just going to my disciples, and I'm going to teach the genuine believer what life is all about. I'm going to teach the genuine believer what it means to be a disciple. I'm going to teach the genuine believer what it means to pick up your cross and follow me. I'm going to teach the genuine believer what the will of God is. For everybody else, I'm moving aside now. The time has come. So that's where we are in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples in these things, what we just said about It is so human to try to fix something unpleasant, isn't it? Don't we go through this sort of cause and effect, unpleasant comes and what do we want to do? We want to find some kind of comfort in our life. 
is, is a natural reflex in our, in, in our human nature. And we'll go further than that. We want to fix somebody else's. You know, Jesus, Peter wanted to fix Jesus' problem. But here's the thing. There was no problem to Jesus. He was going to the cross purposely because it was God the Father's will to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. That's why he was born. He wasn't born to stay away from the cross. He was born to go to the cross. We see this trait everywhere. It's a common human frailty to try to rid every uncomfortable feeling out of our life as though it doesn't belong there. We don't realize as a Christian, all discomfort, all pain has a redeeming factor. It brings me closer to God. It gets me to depend on God and not myself. And with that, I find an easier way of living. I find a more peaceful, hopeful way of living. When I find myself close to God like this. But this trait, unfortunately, is part of human frailty. This is not a Peter thing. This is an us thing. All of us have failed with good intentions. Isn't that true? We've said things to try to fix something real quick, and it turns out to be more of a disaster later on. But we have to be careful because it stops here. As Christians, we cannot allow this rogue emotion to own the day. We can't allow this, try to fix it real fast to be the last word on our life. Jesus is the last word. Amen? So sometimes we got to sit back and we have to say, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. It's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. I'm not too sure. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that somehow, some way, it's all going to turn out to what? All good. Doesn't God turn all things good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes? Sooner or later, every bad thing in our life is redeemed and we have understanding. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that it took all those things to get me where I am today to depend on you and to love you and to cherish you and to make sure that you're the object of my faith now. You're the number one priority in my life. So now that I have this vertical relationship, because I came into the church, I was beaten up, I was downcast, I had nowhere to go, I had nowhere to hope, and I came here to find an answer to my problem, and guess what? I got saved, I understand what life is all about now, and all these problems, guess what? They haven't gone away, but guess what? They don't bother me anymore, because I got the vertical relationship with God, and these other peripheral things in life, everybody has them. But they don't own us anymore because we're owned by God. Historically, what's going on here, Jesus has had enough of the religious leaders, foolish questions, and interference in his ministry. It says here that he left them and departed. And it's at that moment that all his focus and all his energy, eye to eye contact, went to his disciples and he started teaching them the way of the cross. It's the way of discipleship. And how important that is to know. As a Christian, I am not a man who goes to a Christian church. I am a man who follows Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a follower of Christ. A disciple of Christ. A learner of Christ. A student of Christ. That's what Christianity is. We know Christ. We obey Christ. We learn Christ. We teach Him. We encourage him, we pray, we love him, so on and so forth. 
From now on, Jesus will minister only to his disciples. There are three episodes that I read tonight. There's three I want to talk about in good intentions. The first one is Peter's personal informed revelation from God about Jesus' personal identity. Remember what Jesus said? Who do men say that I am? And he went through a litany test and he says, but you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Every true and genuine believer knows this. Jesus Christ is God's Messiah, his only begotten son. And we know that not because your mother talked you into it or your friend talked you into it or a pastor talked you into it. If you know that in your heart, God the Father himself revealed that to you. My job as a pastor is not to try to talk anybody into anything. My job as the pastor is to come alongside what God has done in your heart. Are you with me? And teach you. That's all. That's my job. Isn't it nice to know? There's no pressure on me. The pressure's all on God. Jesus didn't try to say, please disciples, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. All the Old Testament prophecies, 613 of them, I'm it. Please believe me, Peter. Please believe me, John. I'll do anything if you'd believe me. Just vote for me. <laughs> Jesus is not running for office. He is God the Son. And the only way any human being can know that Jesus Christ is God the Son is if God the Father reveals it to you. Because if I talk to you into it, as me and John always say, someone else is going to talk you out of it. It's a revelation from God. You can't undo it. You can't fight it. The next thing we see is Peter's personal uninformed presumption about Jesus' work on the cross. See, he got the first thing right. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But when Jesus said he had to go suffer and go to the cross, he didn't have any understanding on that. That was all human presumption. That's where good intentions come in. You see, if you only know half of the picture, it could be very dangerous. Having a little bit of religion could be very, very dangerous. We have to know it all. We just can't agree that Jesus is God. We have to know what he did at the cross. Amen? Amen? And we'll talk about that. And the third one is where Jesus says you have to pick up my cross and follow me. The number one foundational elements of being a disciple of Christ is knowing that God has revealed to you that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son who died for your sins. That's God's job. The next job is to be taught what he did at the cross. You can get the first one right and you can miss it on the second one. Roman Catholicism, unfortunately, has the first one down. But when it comes to the second part of the cross, they think you've got to do something to earn God's forgiveness. You've got you to stay with the sacraments. You've got to be a good member of the church. You've got to go to Mass. You've got to raise your children in the faith. This is stuff we all grew up under. I grew up under that until I was 30 years old and realized that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus did it all on the cross. I can never be in a better relationship with God by what I do. It's what Christ has done. That is the most important thing. So you can have Jesus as God. You can believe in the Trinity. You can believe that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. But if you don't understand the cross, you're just as dumb as Peter is in his text. And you're going to cause more trouble than any good. You have to have both sides. 
And that's what Peter's doing here. So when Jesus teaches about true discipleship and pick up the cross, it's not a moral teaching. In this text, it's not morality. It's not about stop womanizing, stop getting drunk, stop cussing, stop stealing, stop lying. That's not what he's talking about here. To pick up your cross is the will of God, as Pastor John taught last week. It's not about the problems in your life. The will of God in this text is this. I am a disciple of Christ. And with that comes a lot of persecution, doesn't it? That's what it means here. It means to be an outspoken advocate for Christ. And with it comes a lot of joys and comes a lot of sufferings. The joy is when someone else comes and sees Christ. The suffering is when you get persecuted for your faith. All right, we'll talk about this. And let me just show you something about, uh, you know, biblical revelation here. The, what we read here in uh, Matthew 16, uh, the, they're not separate religious episodes that somehow someone just threw them together. They're saying something. They're intimately acquainted with each other. They're like pearls on a golden chain. Each one means something to the next one. All these episodes mean something. And we're going to speak about that. I want to define a good intention. Good intentions can be defined as any human effort to secure a good outcome. And you're supposed to say, what's wrong with that? That sounds good, right? I'll say it again. A good intention is any human effort to secure a good outcome. Again, what's wrong with that? Generally speaking in life, nothing's wrong with it. We should have each other's uh, best interest in our heart. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's not what you want. You don't want my opinion about your life. You don't want what I think is good for you. You don't want to hear a minister, you don't want to hear a Christian tell you their thoughts about how you should do life. You want to hear what God has to say about the situation. Are you with me? Yes. You don't want to hear another man's opinion. I want to hear what God has to say about any situation in my life. You see, Peter had half the equation, but he didn't have an understanding of all the prophets told him. That the Christ must go to Jerusalem and suffer. You see, the worst thing is to believe half of the Bible. If you're going to believe the Bible, you have to believe every word. You cannot cherry pick what you want and what you don't want. You'll come out with a monstrosity that does not save at the end of your life and does not change life now. It's the last thing we want. There's nothing wrong with a good intention. Our jobs in the Christian life is not to try and outrun God. Please listen to me. But to recognize that God is doing something whether we fully understand it or not. Peter did not have a full understanding that Jesus had to die at the cross. He didn't have that. 
And when you don't have a full understanding, you're going to put words in God's mouth that don't belong there. And Peter was saying something, God forbid, meaning God of the Old Testament would never allow this. But actually, if you read Isaiah 53, that's why Jesus came, because God the Father wanted him to suffer for our sins. So when Peter said, God forbid it, he was actually standing up in the place of God and declaring this will never be. A little bit of religion could be dangerous to the soul. He did not have the full understanding that God was doing something deeper. How many people got problems here? Oh, oh easy. I'm sorry I asked. For the, for the honest ones that raised both his hands, praise God. I want to ask you a question. How would you really like God to come in and do something in your life? Honestly. I'm not talking about waking up tomorrow and the problem's gone. I'm talking about God doing something over these problems. Let me give you a little insight on how God works. God's not overly concerned with the fruit of misery. Now think about the situations in your life that you would like God to change. Now you thought about it, and you want those things gone. See, God just can't deal with the fruit. He has to deal with the, with the root. Because if you don't deal with the root, and you cut the fruit off, guess what happens? It grows back. About 15 years ago when I was still teaching karate, I came down with this... Ugly planter's water. You ever get a? You know what a planter's water is? It's disgusting. You get this thing on the bottom of your foot. It's like, you know, an athlete's foot or something. You know, and, and I, I was like, what is this? And so I went to the doctor, and he starts cutting it out. And after about six times, I like, I said, how long? How long is this going to take? He goes, oh, it never goes away. He said, you're charging me sixty dollars every time I walk in here. <laughs> You're cutting it out. You're putting a little ointment and a Band-Aid on me. Now you're telling me it's never going to go. Yeah, that's the way it is. I said, all right, give me the medication. You gave me the medication. For the next three months, I cut that thing out and applied the medication. Guess what? It never grew back. Because I didn't want to deal with the fruit. I had to get to the root. And that's what God does in our life. And many of the situations that are going on in our life and many of the uncomfortability and the, the the misgivings in our life is because we don't get to the root of the problem. But when God comes in your life, he just doesn't come as a plumber, just a plunge. He goes, no, i got to change everything around you. Are you with me? God wants to change the plumbing in our life. Not just the plunger. And so a week later, he has to come back again. It's important to understand that. Because if we don't, I'm going to give, come here and I'm going to give you a lot of good intentions. And the good intention only deals temporarily with a problem. Peter was dealing temporarily with a spiritual problem, the root of which is sin. And that's what Jesus came to deal with. And if he didn't go to the cross, it might have looked good for a moment. But guess what? It wouldn't have changed the thing. Let me deal with our cross first. Peter knew half the equation about Jesus Christ. He's God's Messiah. He certainly did not know the full extent of this revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
but he was on his full way to maturity. He was a young fisherman, would-be apostle, soon to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to go into ministry. But only knowing half of the gospel truth is not the same as understanding all the gospel message of Jesus Christ <laughs> and forgiveness. Dealing with the root. Jesus is here to deal with the root of your problem, of my problem, of humanity's problem. Humanity has to get right vertically with God the Father. And religion don't do it. Good intentions don't do it. Philosophy don't do it. Trying to be a better person, trying to be a better father, a better mother, a better friend won't do it. We need to be forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be born again. We need to be new creations. We need to be disciples of Christ. And that's how he deals with the root of the problem. This is where young Christians can miss it. Our cross-bearing is to know the deep consequences of sin. Peter did not know the deep consequences of sin. He did not know that the most important thing in the Old Testament wasn't the king. The most important thing in the Old Testament wasn't the prophet. The most important thing in the Old Testament wasn't the priest. The most important element in the Old Testament was the sacrifice of the lamb that made people right with God. The prophet, the priest, and the king were there to facilitate these things. But none of them can forgive the sin. Jesus Christ came to get to the root of human problem, and that is sin, and we need to be forgiven. Peter didn't understand it. Part of our Pick up the cross in this context today for believers is that we fully understand the redeeming power of Jesus Christ at the cross. When I speak to anybody about God, when I'm speaking to people about the consequences of life, when I'm speaking to people who try to bring peace into their life and hope into their life, what I have to do at all times is to make sure we don't deal with the peripheral fruit, but to get to the heart of the matter. And that's uncomfortable for some people. Peter didn't want to get to the heart of the matter. He just wanted it all to go away real quick. Oh, God forbid. God forbid you should suffer. So bad is that thought that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's a serious implication. That's a serious indictment against Peter. Get behind me, Satan is not a metaphor. It's not hyperbole. It's not an expression to get our attention. It is spiritual. Satan was behind Peter trying to get Jesus not to go to the cross. And that's not the first time Satan did this. Do you remember the first time Satan got, tried to get Jesus not to go to the cross? Remember when he was in the wilderness? And he was fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights without sleep. And who showed up at the end of the 40 days? Satan, what did Satan tell Christ? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me. He tried to get him off his game plan. It didn't work. He's trying to get him off his game plan now through Peter. Later on when he's on the cross and he's hanging there, guess what? Someone told him, if you are the Christ, come down off the cross and save yourself. Satan would have done anything, not for Jesus Christ to fulfill his mission of getting to the heart of the matter, which is sin. 
pastors are still doing this today. You can go to a Christian church for months, maybe years, and the pastor won't talk about sin. I probably mentioned it a dozen times already. Won't talk about atonement. I've spoken out about a half dozen times already. Won't speak about the need to be forgiven. I spoke about that throughout this whole context. I'm only speaking 15 minutes. Because why? Satan has got into the pulpit. And the things that really matter, pastors aren't talking about. They're, not, they're trying to deal with the fruit of the misery of life. They're trying to come to church and sing themselves into a happy place. But they're avoiding the root of the problem. Peter was trying to avoid the root of the problem. When Jesus saw that, he said, this isn't Peter, this is Satan trying to get me not to go to the cross. I know that old familiar foe. I've heard that before. Young Christians really have to understand the depth of the consequences of sin. And I'll speak about that in application. It is not our jobs to make people feel good. Are you a Christian man? Are you a Christian woman? It's not your job to try to make everybody happy. Did you know that? You should be relieved. It's not your job to comfort everybody. It's our job to bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ so he can deal with the root of life. He can deal with the root of the problem. This is the ultimate good intention of which pain and suffering is part of. I see more people come to the Lord through pain and suffering than through anything else. When pain and suffering and discomfort in life has brought you to a place to cry out, what's going on in my life? Instead of trying to fix it, you point people to Jesus. He's the answer. Jesus is the answer. God's the answer. And when you have God in your life, you have understanding of pain. You have understanding of suffering. You have understanding of injustice in your life. You start to understand even some despicable things about your own nature. Hello? Most of the things we suffer are self-inflicted wounds and we don't even realize it. Let me talk theologically. Without the shedding of blood, the Old Testament says what? There's no remission of sins. If Christ doesn't go to the cross, then forget about it. We're all dead in our sins and, you know, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Eat and drink and be merry. Because this life has no hope at all unless Christ is who he says he is. And unless Christ did exactly what he said he did. Otherwise, there is no hope. God's whole Old Testament witness cries out for a bloody atonement. In other words, God demands a sacrifice for sins. A low view of sin, a low view of atonement, equals a low view of Jesus Christ. Humility for Christ was the way to exalt God's kingdom. But even after salvation, God uses suffering to teach Christians the invaluable lessons of staying close to God in life and not to drift away. If everything was really great in my life, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. But life is still pressing. Life has its pressures, inside and out. It, every day is a daily reminder of how much we need God in our life. Am I wrong or right about that? 
Has anybody woke up one day and didn't need God anymore? Has anybody woke up one day and life was okay? Everything was perfect? No, that's not true. But God loves us so much that He restrains us with hardships to bring me close to Him, to rely on Him. It could be many different ways. And this is where we need to be careful. Our desire to ease someone else's pain can actually cause more pain in the long run. If Peter actually got his way here, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Peter, in his good intentions, could never realize, had realized that it was Satan that was behind him. Just taking another cheap shot at Jesus going to the cross, as I said already. I want to move into just some applications here on good intentions and what it means to be a Christian. I wanted to point out here how these three episodes, how Peter's revelation, I'll get into that into, uh, in our application, how he had this revelation, but it might have been, he might have been too smart for himself. I'll speak about that. I'll speak about what the cross means here. The cross is having a genuine understanding that human suffering is the root, the root of human suffering is sin. And that Christ came to deal with the root of our problem. And then I'll tie it together here on good intentions. Before I do, let me sum it up. Only a full understanding of Christ's person and his work in any re- is any real understanding at all. Everything else is misleading. To have a half understanding of Jesus Christ and have an half understanding of what he's done at the cross is misleading at best. It won't work. It's our job to carry the right understanding of the cross. To pick up the cross is for you and I to have a right understanding of what life is all about. That's what it means. It's a heavy burden. When I go out into the world, like I share this all the time, no matter where I am, anywhere I go in my life, I don't feel inferior to those who are smarter, richer, or anything else. I don't feel superior to those who don't have as much. Wherever you and I go as a Christian, we have the message of life. Only a Christian say that. Someone else might bring a great education. Someone else might bring prominence, position, material goods. But unless you have the message of life, and this is what Jesus means by this, what does it gain a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Where you and I go as a Christian... I carry the meaning of life. That makes you someone very important. And that's one of the things of discipleship. Where we go, we carry a message of reconciliation with us. That takes care of every root problem in the world. Did you know that? People are looking for world peace, right? Who doesn't want world peace today? You're not going to get it until you get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is human sin. It's not the left, it's not the right, it's not the bad people on the other side of the world, it's not the bad people here. It's sin. Sin is the problem. And only God can handle that. Only God has the answer to that. This is our cross. The cross is the will of God. A message this world despises, do you know that? And one that our human nature is quite shocked at first to receive, never mind to understand. We are to make sure we never miss it on this. Are you a Christian man, a Christian woman? 
please never miss it on the person of Christ. He is fully God and fully man. He's God's Messiah. He's our Savior. He died for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ did not come to give you a cozy, comfy life. Jesus Christ did not come to give you a cozy, comfort life. He came to give you eternal life and eternal joy. That's what he came here for. That's the most important thing. Let me talk about some application. And all of us need to be careful on these applications, because I can tell you right now, I failed in all of them as a young believer. And if we're not careful, you can probably see in your life today how you're failing in this area. Listen up. Application one. Good intentions. Good intentions are usually quick fixes to complicated problems. Did you know that? This is a serious issue. Jesus is going to the cross. He has come to take care of a very complicated problem. Mankind is not right with God. And there's no quick answer to that. It took a series of revelations from God and throughout the whole Old Testament until the Son of God came to die. It is not an easy fix. Life doesn't have an easy fix. Problems just can't have a pill. It just doesn't have a doctor. It's not an office visit. To deal with the real root issues of life, we need to go to Christ and have God do an inward work on our hearts. Jealousy, greed, lust, and every other one that brings havoc and ruins life needs to be dealt with. But a good intention, as Peter says here, is just a quick fix. Let's fix it up real fast. Let's not look at the fruit of it. Let's not look what's behind the scene over here. Let's just change something. Let's move. Change a face. New girlfriend, new boyfriend, new job, new clothes, new gym, new this, something new, something real fast because life has gotten so uncomfortable, I have to get out of this mess real quick. Sound familiar? Yeah. We've all been there. We're looking for a quick fix. But it never really meets the deepest desires of the soul. What you and I need is not something new but something old. We need God. That's what we need. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The soul's greatest aspiration is to live with God. That's why Jesus said, what are you going to give for the sake of your soul? What are you going to give for the sake of your soul? You've got to pick up your cross, follow me, and I'll give you God, is what he's saying. Good intentions are usually a quick fix at complicated problems. And it never really meets the desires ends that it sets out to accomplish. It never truly brings true comfort and peace. It just kicks the can down the road. Did you ever hear that expression? Don't deal with it now. Just kick it down the road. And until one day in 10 years I have to deal with it again. Or 20 years again I have to deal with it again. When you come to Christ you deal with the root of the problem. You never have to deal with it again. Because God's dealing from the inside out. There's no long-term solution to the problem in good intentions. Good intentions are let's get out of the uncomfortable position as fast as we can. 
but it never really gets someone to say, where am I going to be in five years? Where am I going to, where's this taking? Where am I going to be in five years from now? Where am I going to be in ten years from now? Am I, am I going to be in the same place? Am I going to genuinely be in a better place if I go this way? Am I really dealing with the root of the problem, or am I just dealing with some fruit of uncomfortability? It's something we all have to ask, amen? Two. Good intentions are often emotional knee-jerk reactions to fix something real quick or fix someone else real quick. That's what Peter's doing here. He heard something, gave it no thought, but had an answer. I love people that do that. You know, you just tell them something right away, they got an answer for your life. You don't even know who I am. You don't know my name. You don't know how old I am, how long I've been married. You have no idea what makes me tick, but yet... You want to fix my life. That's a very nice thing. I really appreciate that. You know, but we need something much deeper than some emotional knee-jerk reaction to try to fix our uncomfortability real fast. Amen? Yes. But we all, we can fall into that. When someone's crying on your shoulder, when someone's really pouring out their heart, don't you just want to do something? Don't you just, like my wife, I remember when my wife was going through cancer. You know, it's 20 years ago, but I remember we couldn't let each other go. It was like... For a week, we just held on to each other. And that one day came when I had to walk her up to the car. And she had to get into the car and go to work. And halfway up, God told me, he says, that's all. You can't do anything more for your wife, Brian. She's in my hands now. And I had to give her over to the Lord. Amen. I had to just trust God now. As much as I wanted what she needed most, I did everything I could humanly possible as a husband. But I had to leave her to God because the deep work only God can do. Amen? Yes. Takes a lot of trust. Again, good intentions. When we try to fix the problem real quick, remember this. When we try to fix the problems real quick, we can end up undermining what really needs what we really need in our life. What we don't need is comfort. What we need is character. Yes. That's what we want. Yes. God wants to put character in you. Yes. Character is the ability to stand up under any pressure with a sense of joy and a sense of peace and a sense that I will trust God no matter what. I'm not going to make bad decisions no matter how many, how much pressure is on me. I'm not going to go make from one bad decision to another bad decision because I'm looking to get out of the uncomfortable place. Character stands there and says, God, I will wait for you to do something in my life. I will make no decisions. I won't go to the left. I won't go to the right. I'm going to wait, God, and I'll wait and I'll wait like Jesus waited in the grave for three days until you rose him from the dead. I will wait. That's what Christians do. And in that, God teaches us character. And we all know that character is missing in this world. A friend of mine had a son, went to college, a good kid. He's sort of a boring kid, but he's a good kid. But he came back from college. He had three tattoos, two earrings. He was listening to music, got his pants down here. And I'm not again. But what happened... He got an image in six months. He looked different. He looked cool. Look. But he lacked any character at all. 
He kept on dropping out of school, losing jobs, doing this. But he looked cool. But the man couldn't hold a job if he tried. He had absolutely no character under pressure. You see, you can get an image real quick. You can get out of a situation real quick. But it doesn't change who you really are. God wants to change us, not comfort us. Are you with me? If you know your Bibles, that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is going to the cross, amen? Peter's telling him, God forbid that you go to the cross. It's a painful time in Christ's life. But listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Listen. For it was fitting that he, that's Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? You see, Peter was telling Jesus, you're not going to suffer. But God's saying, I want him to suffer. But Peter's saying, I don't want you to suffer. But God's saying, no, I want him to learn things. He's going to learn deep obedience so that when you guys are messing up in your life, Jesus will be there saying, I suffered too. And I'm patient and I love you. And if you failed, get up. I didn't fail. Come. You failed again, get up. You failed again, get up. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to bring your character into your life. But if Peter had his way, the writer of Hebrews could never wrote this. You know, we do more injustice to children by trying to save them from every uncomfortable situation in their life. You're doing an injustice. You got to be inoculated to the pain of the world. You have to teach a child that this is part of life. Number three, good intentions from a Christian perspective. We've got to be careful. It's rarely based on scriptural understanding. It's rarely based on scriptural understanding. It's based on feelings and emotions. What we think or what we want is best. And it's usually self-serving. Peter was very uncomfortable with the thought that Jesus was going to Jerusalem and get killed. That made him very uncomfortable. So he wasn't just trying to save Jesus, trying to save himself. The thought that he was going uncomfortable. When we watch children, we watch our loved ones make mistakes and going through hard times. We want to jump in. We want to save the day. We want to make life more comfortable. We can do a great injustice. We have to know what the word of God says. We need to be unaware, number four, in good intentions that we're actually being used by Satan. Who in this room wants to think that Satan used them in a good intention? None of us do. But the truth of the matter is, we have, at times in our life. If we're given good information, good intentions, but it's really not dealing with the depth of the problem, which is sin, and you're just trying to make someone comfortable in their life, guess what? That's not God. God is not glossing over the problem. He doesn't sweep the real problem underneath the carpet and says, I'll take care of your life. He says, I'll take care of your life, but first let me take care of the real problem. We're not to be paranoid that Satan is behind everything. We just need to be careful. 
to make sure that when we're encouraging somebody, and we all should be encouragers, that we encourage them with the word of God and with Jesus Christ, not our opinions. Keep your opinions out of it. Half of the time, they're not even good for ourselves. Why do I want to give somebody else my opinions? Most of my good thinking got me in most of my trouble. And understand something. This It's not our jobs to find solutions to everyone's problem. Are you a Christian? And we feel that mercy and we want to get in there and fix someone else's life. It's not your job to fix someone else's life. Point them to Jesus and point them to the scriptures. Point them to Jesus, point them to the scriptures. You're not a marriage counselor, you're not a therapist, you're not a physical therapist, you're not a money manager, you're not a family psychologist. Even spiritual evaluations from a trained pastor who's been in the ministry for many years can take a long time of listening to someone. Many times in counseling, I won't speak to somebody for two, three sessions. I'll just listen. I'll listen. And I'll listen. I'll listen to the pain. I'll listen to the burden. I'll listen to the concern. I'll see the tears. And I want to get in there and I want to fix it, but I won't do that. I want to listen. And I want to bring that problem to the Word of God. And then when I have a good understanding of what might be taking place, I bring someone to the Word of God and say, listen to what Jesus says about this situation. Listen to what the prophet said. Listen to what God the Father says. You bring them to God for the problem. For the answer, not us. Five. Peter could have, and I make a suggestion, been carried away with his initial revelation about Jesus. You're a little puffed up over here. Who do men say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he gets, he, he, gets a, he gets the nod from Jesus. You're right, Simon Boss. Yeah, uh, Simon Boss, whatever his name is. Simon Bar-John. He goes, you're right. But that was revealed to you not by men, but by Father in heaven. A couple of brownie points there. We know from Luke's gospel that there was a spirit of competition between the... Did you know that? There was competition between the apostles. They wanted to know who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So we got Peter over here. He's getting kudos from the Lord. He's not feeling any pain. He's all puffed up like the rooster, dancing around. And, you know, now it's, now it's time to save Jesus from the cross. Satan loves pride. Satan loves pride. Show me pride and I'll show you where Satan is at work. Satan loves to expose the pride in our heart. This is especially important to young, gifted Christians. A young, gifted Christian, someone who can lead worship and play the guitar, someone who can preach and someone who can pray, someone who can evangelize, someone who can quote scripture, all of a sudden you forget you're human and pride starts taking over. Satan's right there. Satan's right there for the fall. Because what Peter had here was a genuine revelation from God, but he lacked any wisdom, he lacked any humility, he lacked any experience. And in Christianity, that's deadly. We're dealing with people's souls. We're dealing with people's lives. It's not right to throw around a good intention for a root problem. We have to take time. We have to think. We have to pray. We have to study. We have to talk to the Lord. We just can't go around trying to heal everybody's broken life with a couple of short words. We cannot do that. And I'll close with this. What's implicit in this text, though it's not said, 
is an understanding of the Word of God. Peter did not understand fully Old Testament prophecy. Many today don't either. But they're in pulpits. They're on the streets. Well-intended people. But they don't have the full understanding of God. Not all Christians holding down jobs and families and the cares of the world around them can sit around, study all day, scripture and theology. It's not your job. It's my job. God's gifted me to do that. God has gifted Pastor John. God has gifted other people in the church to do that. That's what we do. It is my heart's desire to be steeped theologically in the word of God. All 66 books is my life. I make it the study of my life. Because when I come into this pulpit, or I counsel somebody, or I'm speaking to somebody about Christ, I don't come with half of a revelation. I come with the full understanding of God's authoritative word on all issues of life. But here's this. God knows you. everybody can't sit around and do that. Matter of fact, many is on call to that. But everyone's called to sit in a church that is theologically and doctrinally sound. How do we know? If you're going to church, and the months are going on, and the years are going on, and the preacher's never talking about doctrine, never says the word, never talks about theology, never says the word, chances are you're hearing more about good intentions than you are the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking into consideration everything that's going on in our life. And only you, the great evangelist of our souls, can genuinely deal with the root of our problems, God. It's the human heart. God, we bring so many failures to you. We bring our sins, our misunderstandings, our good intentions, our desires. But God, we come to you because our life is a mess at times. And Father God, we ask you to do a work of grace in us. Not just to get the fruit of discomfort out of our life, but get to the root of the problem, God. What needs to be fixed in us? Why am I looking to the left? And why am I looking to the right for a quick fix to ease my pain, my emotional pain, and my mental anguish, and my spiritual pain? Why am I looking for a quick fix? God, you're the answer to all life's problems. And Jesus, that's why you went to the cross, to make us right with God. And I thank you, Tom. I thank you so very much that 30 years ago you made me right with you through your son's atonement, Father. I thank you when I walked into church 30 years ago, I thought I had a couple of issues, not realizing I was a sinner in need of grace. I thank you, Father God, that you dealt with the biggest problem in my life, the need to be forgiven. And from that moment on, life started making sense. God, thank you for everyone in this room that heard the word today. I thank you for all the special work of grace you're doing in our hearts, even drawing us here to hear the word, Father God. Continue to bless us, Father God. And God, do a great work in all our hearts. In Jesus' precious name.